We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hey everyone, we've got a special episode for you this week as we have three guests for the price of one. With the end of COVID lockdown possibly, maybe, I hope, in sight, I've been seeing a lot of chess players talking about their chess goals on social media. I love to see people set lofty but achievable goals and put in the hours to try to make it happen. With that in mind, this episode features three guests who will be pursuing the highest title of them all grandmaster the grandmaster title of course is the highest title and it's attained by achieving a peak fide rating over 2500 and you have to earn three what are called norms for more information about how these titles are done you are one you can look it up but of course it's safe to say that it's very difficult grandmaster jesse cry said earning the grandmaster title was the most difficult professional thing he had ever done in his life So my guests for this show are I am Lawrence Trent, I am Sean Nagel, and I am Attila Terzo, interviewed in that order. 
They have different ages and different professional and family situations, different distances to travel to get the Grandmaster title, but of course they all have the same goal. And they're all so strong already that I find it fascinating to hear what they think they need to do to get even stronger. I also think you'll find it interesting to hear how different their approaches and philosophies are as they relate to chess improvement. I also wanted to give a shout out to all you listening who are plotting your own chess goals, whether it be planning on playing your first OTB over the board tournament when the lockdown is over, or whether you're going after the IM title or just looking to climb the next rung on the rating ladder, or maybe just want to play to have fun. Whatever you're doing, I think uh, competing in chess is quite an admirable way to spend your time. My own goals, in theory, should be modest. I would like to get my USCF rating back to 2200, a place it has already been. But I don't think those 80 points will be easy. And when it comes to chess study, I feel like I'm never doing enough. I think a lot of you might feel the same way. Lastly, I only had room for three guests on this special show. But I did want to give a shout out to a few other prominent IMs and give a quick update on the extent to which they will be pursuing the Grandmaster title post-COVID lockdown, as I know people are always interested. Number one, a friend of the show, many-time guest of the show, I am Kostya Kowalski of Chess Dojo fame. Kostya tells me he is going to be getting after it. So that is another person that we can track, and of course we will be rooting for Kostya to earn that title. I am Eric Rosen, another friend of the show I reached out to, And for Eric, I think it's safe to say it's not as high a priority. Eric's obviously having a lot of success with his Twitch streaming and his YouTube channel. And as of now, his focus is more on upping his Blitz game and continuing to help grow chess, but not necessarily playing norm tournaments and stuff like that. I am Casa Corley, was on episode 69 of this show, and he is trying to become the next African-American grandmaster after Maurice Ashley. And Casa tells me he too, like Kostya, will be getting after it and trying to get that title when circumstances permit. Beloved IM John Bartholomew mentioned on Twitter that it is not currently a high priority for him to earn the GM title. Hopefully he'll try it again in the future, but that's where he is now. My old friend, I am Greg Shahadi, people sometimes ask about. As far as I can tell, Greg has zero interest in playing slow chess. So even though he's pretty strong, I don't think he'll be going after the Grandmaster title. And then, of course, there's lots of young IMs out there pursuing the title. Phenoms like I am Abhimanyu Mishra, Carissa Yip, Christopher Yu. It's safe to say they'll all be chasing the title. And guess what? I like their chances. They're young, they're hungry, they're talented. So, of course, that will be interesting to track. But the greater challenge is these adults. Uh, So without further ado, let's dive into the interviews. We're going to start off with I am Lawrence Trent. Then we will head to Sean Nagel. Then we will get to I am Attila Terzo. But before we do, last thing, we're going to hear from an important new sponsor. So have a listen to that and then enjoy these interviews, everyone. Listeners, I have to tell you about a spicy new sponsor called Hot Saucery. One of the founders is an old friend of mine. It is a young and hungry company founded out of a passion or perhaps even an obsession for hot sauce. I know that passion and obsession are feelings that many chess players are familiar with. And what goes better with chess than hot sauce? 
Their site, hotsaucery.co, hold the M, is about discovering global flavors. They've got hot sauces from all over the world. You can pick based on level of spice that you prefer, or they have pre-assembled gift baskets. They sent me a few of them. My personal favorite was called Fly by Jing. I've been having it on pork and chicken, and it is utterly delicious. So if you decide to give them a try, be sure to use the promo code PERPETUAL at checkout. This will save you 10%. For now, shipping is only in the USA, but we will be following them and you should follow them at hot.saucery on Instagram. So check it out. Info in the show notes. Let's get to the interviews. And we are here with another one of our GM title chasers, probably the most well-known in the chess community. He is a popular chess commentator for Chess 24, the FIDE World Championship, and uh, other mediums. He was one of the co-hosts of the original chess podcast, RIP, may it rise again to the full (laughs) English breakfast. Uh, He's also been on the show back in its early days, uh, Mm -hmm. April of 2017. You can catch our guest with one of his fellow Full English Breakfast co-hosts, Macaulay Peterson. Of course, uh, Grandmaster Stephen Gordon and Grandmaster Simon Williams also were involved in times. Um, He spent some time working as Fabiano Caruana's manager, but what we're primarily going to talk about today is his chess game. Of course, our guest is a strong chess player, and I am, has won many UK National Youth Championships at various ages. He's currently rated FIDE 2399, although he has a peak FIDE rating of 2487. Um, I believe he is 34 years old, although I forgot to ask him, and we're going to verify that (laughs) in a second. Um, And he is ready to get cracking on the elusive GM title. So let's bring in our old friend, I am Lawrence Trent. What is happening, Lawrence? Wow, what an intro. I don't think How I did would, I do? Are you 34? You did amazing. I mean, you're spot on. 34, washed up, uh, old, <laughs> uh, you know, everything was spot on. Thanks for Excellent. the Excellent. Well, I forgot arch enemy of I am Greg Shahadi. I buried the lead there. Well, I mean, that isn't strictly true. You know, when you're a sort of arch enemy of somebody, you, you the, the assumption is that that person is in your level, is in your realm, right? Is He's in your, you know, he's in your atmosphere he you know greg shardy lives on a different planet to me and i don't mean that in a good way um you know so i've got other rivals out there greg shout out to greg shardy if you're watching buddy or listening i should say i know you're listening because you don't do anything else with your life you you you, you look at a few chessable courses learn a few lines tweet the odd hour you beat some 2700 grandmaster who was watching the champions league and drinking five beers at the same time while playing you uh and and that's about it but shout out to you nonetheless don't forget the crossfit lawrence oh yeah yeah and you know and and you know i'm really sorry to hear obviously i i guess all the gyms where you are 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 kind of shut down at the moment you having to do crossfit at home and getting ag from the neighbors and everything else so i'm sorry that you're um you know, you're going through this horrible period. Coming in from the top rope, Lawrence. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, well, now that we got the trash talk out yeah. of the way, I'm sure Greg will retaliate uh, in some form. He um, certainly will, yeah. As I told you, definitely one of my top three chess rivalries right up <laughs> there with uh, Magnus and Anish Giri, to whom you guys are often compared. Um, <laughs> So the GM Chase Lawrence, yeah. thirty-four years of age. You've got yeah. your, you've got two out of the three norms. Um, yeah. Why now? Well, that's a good question. So a lot of things have changed uh, for me personally, um, without going into you know 
too many details. Well, I mean, I've just become a lot more free. Let's talk about it. Let, ah. let, let's Little call lady it. Lady listeners going to get excited, Lawrence. <laughs> oh no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. That would be a terrible idea, of course. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, things things changed and my perspective changed and what I realized, what I really need to do to 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 be happy really and to 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 feel fulfilled is, is go for it i mean as you said you know i've got two norms i came very close 10 years ago basically um and uh yeah i just feel like i'm still young enough uh it's going to be a lot harder than it was when i was in my 20s obviously but um you know uh, uh I, I just have the, yeah, as I say, the time and I have the motivation suddenly to want to do it as well. So I think it's going to be an important part, an important thing for me to, to, to try and strive for. And, uh, you know, but there's been a lot of chatter on Twitter as well recently, haven't there about, you know, other IMs, you know, sim similar guys or guys that are, are well known in chess who are, uh, doing great things as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, and I'll I'll put Greg in there. I'll put him in there. You know, that'll make him happy. But you know, the likes of John Bartholomew, Kostya Kavutsky, myself, uh, Attila Terzo from uh, from Hungary. Um, you know, and there are a bunch of others. If I've forgotten some names there, but yeah, I'll be interviewing Sean Nagel from Minnesota. He's not. He's a. You know, he's a. He's, as far as I can tell, he's a well-behaved dad. So he's not. He's not bringing the ruckus on Twitter. But right. I think he's going to be working on the title. Right. No. So there's a whole bunch of guys, and obviously lockdown as well has kind of given us a new perspective on things and being not able to play chess and. Um, being not able to travel, it does make you appreciate uh, things a lot more. Um, so there's there's that element as well. And so, yeah, it's, it just feels like the stars are aligned at the moment where I'm in a place where I can really go for it. And I'm going to be getting a coach. I've mentioned this, a few people already know this. Um, you know, so I'm going to be taking it very seriously. And, I, you know, a long time ago, none other than Magnus Carlsen himself said to me, why the hell are you not a grandmaster yet? And, you know, when the world champion and maybe the greatest of all time tells you that, it kind of leaves a lasting, uh, a lasting, uh, what's the word? I'm looking Impression, for. yeah. Impression on you, exactly. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finally, because, you know, we're going to talk about lots of other things, I'm sure, today, as we, we said before the call. Um, you know, there are lots of things you can do. But ultimately, getting the title when you've dedicated your life to this game is the is the ultimate reward. I know my limitations. I'm never going to be a great player. I'm never going to be 2600. Um, I'm just not good enough. But I do believe I am good enough to to get that title. And then I then, I, then when I finally kick the bucket, you know, maybe they can write it on my tombstone or something. That would be nice. Okay. Well, Lawrence, first of all, I mean, from my vantage point and from most chess fans vantage point, you, you are a great player, despite all the ribbing you take from, uh, from your, your many grandmaster friends, um, uh, grandmaster title or no, it's amazing what you've already accomplished. Um, but I mean, I'm still excited for the journey because for someone like me, like, um, I can't even dream of dreaming of it, you know? So, um, it, it'll be fun to watch. So first of all, I, 
I have seen somewhere in in one of your broadcasts, I think, where you did mention that you had lined up a high level coach. So yeah. as a as a uh, journalist, it's my obligation to ask <laughs> if you're able to share who it is or I, if it's uh, I, still I, top I, secret. I'm not going to do that just yet. And the reason is because, uh, firstly, I haven't started sessions. Secondly, we've got to iron out some details. Um, so, but, you know, he's a very well-known guy. And I've got another guy who's also reached out to me who is also extremely well-known and might be doing helping me more with the psychological side of things. Uh, I always felt like that was one of my big barriers because you can probably imagine the number of times I've come half a point or you know, a point uh, off of getting the, the, the final norm, right? Where it's just, you know, some uh, collapse, psychological collapse. Um, trying to get different perspectives there. So there's somebody else I've got in mind who I think will be able to help me out or just guide me. Before, when I was playing more actively a few years ago, I was even in touch with basically a mindset coach where I was going through breathing routines before games, uh, some meditation, um, trying to, because I always felt like, nerves were my biggest enemy in chess. I, 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 even after all these years, when the pressure is on in, in the moment, I felt like I got flustered. And when your nerves go, your, uh, your calculation goes out the window and you make big mistakes, especially in time scrambles and that, that sort of thing. So there, you know, I'm going to be working on that and obviously working on the technical side of the game. Uh, where you know getting an opening repertoire for a start would be quite decent. You know, I don't have a proper opening repertoire. I've got to work on my endings. They're pathetic. Um, you know, uh, everything. So it's going to be a big undertaking. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. And and one thing, perhaps we can delve into this as well, uh, Ben. Is you know, um, when you hear the greatest minds in the world talk about backing themselves backing something in life they all say you know if you're going to lump your net worth or if you're going to lump a huge amount of money on something do it on yourself right back yourself backs back something where you're in full control of the result and that's what i plan to do and i will be um accepting wages from anybody who doesn't believe I can accomplish that this in a certain time period. And we're going to get proper lines. Everything's going to be done properly. And I will empty the clip, so to speak, <laughs> um, <laughs> on myself. And if I fail, I'll go broke. And if I don't, then, then I'll get the title and I'll make a bit of, of extra money on the side. So, that that's going to be fun. Um, Excellent. Yeah. When you talk to Twitter, if I get the action, I'm not sure because a lot of people like, you know, I get messages, you know, through the commentaries, Ben, I get the trolls saying how terrible I am and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, but do people actually have the stones to put their money where their mouth is? That's the question I have for you. And, yeah, it'll um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm torn because, as you know, I used to be a professional gambler, so it always it always perks, and I love the idea yeah. of all these chess prop bets. You know, like uh, poker professionals mm -hmm. like Mike McDonald and uh, Olivia Olivier Bousquet, and even Fader Holtz. Um, they've they've mm -hmm. kicked around the idea of these massive uh, chess achievement prop bets, but when push comes mm -hmm. to shove, it seems like no one wants to do the work. You know, it's just so hard at the end of the day to actually commit 
to putting everything else aside in life, even if the because obviously for most people, it's the financial piece of the puzzle that makes it just a non-starter. You might dream that like, you know, I mean, the proverbial you might dream like I could make GM if it weren't for these like pesky children and this wife and this job, you know. Um, But these poker players are in a unique situation where often they have some money and they know people who have money. So someday I would love to see a prop bet. Um, a big bet. Um, now, do you, so I know you've mentioned it on Twitter and there's been some back and forth. Do you have anything currently booked? No, I've got no, I've got absolutely nothing because there aren't any, we, we, we don't have any lines set up yet. When I did the survey of what people thought, whether I could do this in two years, um, a few very well, uh, known voices who have got no skin in this game, have got no interest. Um, basically they were floating around the idea that, in two years, I would be something like a 20 to 25% dog. So something in the region of four or five to one. Um, you take that bet? I would take that bet. Anything around that price range, if anybody out there wants to get at me, um, we can, uh, you know, we can, we can do all kinds of stuff. We can, uh, we can escrow some stuff, uh, whatever. I mean, if you want to do it small, that's also fine. I can do it in small pieces um, but yeah, anything in the four to five to one region, uh, 20 to 25%, I would take, and that would be two years from the first game played. So the first game I play, it would be two years after that. Now, obviously this, there would be a slight caveat in the, all of these props, which would be like, if Corona got out of control again, right. and you know, and basically they shut down air travel or something like that. Um, or we could even do something like a 200 game um, you know, it doesn't have to be in time exactly. It could be number of games. And that way, again, if Corona comes around the corner, I can say, well, it doesn't really matter. It just matters on the number of games. Um, so, yeah, Sutovsky said 20%. Um, I think, uh, who else? Um, this is uh, Grandmaster Emil Sutovsky. Yeah, sorry. Sutovsky, I think the um, president of FIDE. Ramesh. Ramesh. Oh. He was, know. said something around that area, 20 to 25%. Um, and this is, of course, including a bunch of work. And then there are a lot of people that just say you've got no chance. Yeah, I've heard some naysayers. I won't, I won't put anyone on blast. Yeah, but, um, yeah. But, I mean, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm kind of torn because I – as a gambler, I have to admit, I would my temptation would be to bet against someone. And it's nothing against you. It's just the actual task. Um, yeah. nothing, nothing against you personally. No. Um, but I, I want you to do it, you know, like I want, you know, I'm interviewing you, Sean Nagel, and I interviewed Attila Terzo and the will be aired as one episode. I want all you guys to do it because mm-hmm. I think it's so admirable to really to put all those things aside and to do it. So, um, but well, on the other hand, if no one bets against you, are you, st- are you still going to go after it if no one yeah, bets against I mean, you? I guess, I guess I'll still do it because ultimately money is money. It comes and goes um, and it's not the be all and end all. And the title itself has got much more intrinsic value. It's got much more personal value, um, you know. So I will still be motivated to go and do it. But of course, if I had a bit of a uh, bit of something on the line to really get the juices flowing, that wouldn't hurt. But Ben, you know, my door is open, buddy. If you want to have a little, <laughs> if you want to have a little, little, just a little, little, just a uh, little test, just a little, uh, just, yeah, just a little tickler. As we just wet my beak. <laughs> just to wet your beak, just a little bit. I'll let you have a little piece for as small as you want. I'll think about it. Yeah, I'm not, not the high stakes gambler I used to be, but I'm. Yeah. But I'll, I'll think about it. It's, All right. I, again, it's just um, 
I really, I'm really rooting for you. So it would Thank be hard to even find the right amount to bet because if I bet a too small amount, I'm still going to be rooting for you. Yeah, um, well, I'm sure we can find me. And as I say, <laughs> if I get lines. See, I've got a few guys ultimately who I'd like. The Mike won't be listening to this, but Mike McDonald, aka Timex. Um, for all of you who don't know Mike McDonald, he's um, an extremely successful, successful poker player, entrepreneur. Uh, uh, you know, value hunter when it comes to props, um, made a lot of money in crypto, his business, poker shares. Um, no, and it is basically knows how to make uh, markets, solid yeah. lines and markets. Exactly. And so, a chess enthusiast too. He, uh, huge he, chess enthusiast, huge, yeah. I mean, 1800 ish, 1700, 1800, very strong player in his own right. Um, and so hopefully Mike will, you know, if he's got a few minutes and I speak to him, he'll actually be able to churn out a few lines for me. So then, you know, when he's he's the authority on this. So if he if he if he makes a line, people will just, you know, say, oh, OK, that's a fair line. So that's yeah, if he could actually set it on poker shares. That would be amazing. Yeah, I don't think it'll be on poker shares because I just don't think that it'll generate enough interest. I don't think it's value for them to have it on there. But if he if he wants to spend just a few minutes um, working it out, then then that would be great. Um, but I don't know. Again, Ben, I just don't know who's going to really bet against me. Lay me odds. Uh, is there anybody who's actually got the cojones to do it? Because, you know, I will go large if they give me as large as I possibly can um, if they give me the opportunity. Um, but we'll see. So how, how much are we talking? Like, I don't know. How much- It'll be a six-figure bet. I don't know. Wow. Okay. And yeah. you put the money, and you'd put the money in escrow. Well, I would try. I mean, we could, you know, we could come to some arrangement, you know, where you know we could put half the money in escrow or something, or you know, deposit, or there would be, or even contracts. I don't, I don't know how we would do it, but um, okay, excellent. You know, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll go for it. You know, I'll go for it. You know, that's man, it. that would be so much fun. That would so, be fun. So, Lawrence, whatever happens, if you. When it gets lined up, you got to ping me because I'll I'll announce it on the podcast. Yeah, I'm sure listeners great. will be tracking. But but let's talk. So you yes. mentioned let's get to what you need to do chess wise, which yes. you've gotten into a little bit. Um, so we have um we have um a few questions from uh, supporters of the podcast. First one mm-hmm. is from uh, speaking of chess Twitter, uh, Neil Bruce, who of course has oh done yeah I know Neil yeah mm-hmm. great job helping me out with some uh, book recap podcast. So Neil says, Lawrence, I'm a big fan and excited to see your motivation and effort to become a GM. You can do it. Quick question: What are the biggest knowledge and skill gaps between IMs and GMs, and what are you doing to close those gaps? Great question. Um, so. I think um, I think again. I I'll slightly alter that question because I would say that there are so many gradients of GM or or, or, or levels of GM now. It's quite hard to categorize it as just GM, right? So, for example, there are grandmasters who are floating around twenty five hundred that play on the open circuit, where I think my skill gap to them is close to zero if anything, right? They got the GM title maybe a while ago. They, they you know, they float around these, you know, these uh, Swisses. Um, you know, it's a tough life. I don't envy that life at all, trying to make a buck here and there. Um, and my skill gap between, for example, me, me and them is probably very low. Uh, where, however, when you start getting to 2550, 2600, consistent levels like that, then the skill gap is clearly... Uh, is clearly much greater. Um, I would say it's a, 
it, it's a it's a bit of everything. I I mean it's um it it's uh, conversion. I think is uh, a really big one where their conversion rates of of winning positions is just higher. Um, it's obviously their general theoretical knowledge when it comes to, uh, for example, even end games where you know the number of times I've blown uh, a you know a promising position through poor mismanagement in end games is 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 astounding. Um, it's things like uh, you know uh, just being uh, having taking better practical decisions a lot of the time as well. Um, Lots of things. Just experience in general seems to help these guys. Time management, not getting nervous. So that, I mean, but I wouldn't say, like, if you would say to me, is it calculation? I'd say absolutely not, right? So okay. I would say that I, you know. So if you you've got some strengths. That's good. Because yeah. Attila said the opposite yesterday. Attila, um, he, he feels his calculation is by far the weakest. So it's definitely, yeah. it's not one thing for, it's not one universal thing. That's no, I, I, I don't think it's not. I mean, when, I, when, I, when I'm really focused and I'm calculating with the best, I really feel like I can go toe-to-toe with a lot of these guys. Obviously, when you get much higher up, no. But if we're talking in the, let's call it, but lower level GM, and I, I hate to use that word because I, I don't want to seem condescending. But if you are a grandmaster who's twenty five hundred or twenty four fifty, right? You are at you know, objectively speaking, the lower echelons of of the GM uh, category. With those guys, I do feel like I I, I absolutely go toe to toe with them. So calculation has never been my my weakest point. I'm I think I'm quite uh, quite a decent tactician. Um, I feel like feel like I've got a very good feel in dynamic positions, initiative, these kind of stuff. Another thing that I feel I do very poorly, and my good friend Ali Mordazavi, who who won't listen to this because he's far too busy and wouldn't dare stoop as low to to listen to a podcast with me. Uh, he's an international master, very successful businessman. You know, Ali said to me something years ago. He said, apart from the fact you know zero about end games, which is maybe not exactly true, but you know pretty much on the money. He says, you still aren't learning how to do nothing well. And I think that's an in- incredibly tough skill that a lot of grandmasters know how to do. And when I think of some of the English grandmasters, you know, the Arkles and the Hebdens and the stalwarts of the English game, they really do know how to do nothing in a position when it's required. And that is a really tough art. Do you know what I mean by that, Ben? Where yeah, you, club like, players struggle with it too. Yeah, club players as well. But I mean, everybody up to, you know, super duper strong players. How do you know when to just not do anything? Sit on your hands or at least make it seem like you're not doing anything, but you're making some kind of mild improvements to your position. Um, so, you know, the, yeah, the, the, that, that I think is a big skill gap as well between IMs and GMs. Um, but as I say, um, there is an argument here where ELO is actually the predominant indicator now rather than the title, right? Um, if there's an IM who's rated 2550 and there have been, and there's a GM who's rated 2450, who's the stronger player? Right. Well, you know, if the volume of games is sufficient enough you're going to have to say the im doesn't matter that he's only an im right he just maybe hasn't got the perform you know the, the 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 requirements for the norms for whatever reason so i think it's more about elo uh, my elo at the moment as you mentioned in the introduction is the lowest it's been in uh well pretty much the lowest it's been in 
probably 15 years. Um, so I've got a long way to go with that. Um, yeah, that's got to be the biggest challenge, right? I mean, one I norm think, is totally doable. Well, yeah. for you, not for me. But I mean, I think one norm is totally doable. Um, you know, I could just fluke it in some closed tournament, some open tournament. There are many ways just to fluke the norm. I just have one decent tournament where, and there's a, there isn't a luck element. You know, we talk about chess not having any luck. Um, but when you're right on the cusp, as I am, like of being of being able to achieve, because I'm never going to get a 2750 performance, right? So I'm never going to perform at 2800. So my my GM scores are going to be right on that 2600 performance mark. And I can tell you from the dozens of tournaments I've played in the past 20 years, there is you you need to get a little bit lucky to 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 get there you're never going to play perfectly at least unless you're a super duper strong kid somebody like me 34 years old i'm never just going to play astounding chess for nine or ten rounds there's going to be a moment in round six or round seven where i'm going to need to get a bit lucky where i'm going to be either gifted half a point or i'm going to be able to save half a point or something of that ilk or i even swindle into an entire point what you know yeah. that sort of thing i think for somebody like me is required. I'm just not good enough to go through an entire tournament with a, with a solid performance like that. Unless of course the coaching works. And then I think, wow, this coaching stuff actually works. <laughs> um, but as things stand, I can't see that happening. So yeah, the, the actual norm itself is not, um, is potentially not the, the issue. It's the points. And that's going to be a re that that is something I'm, I've been thinking about. Like, how am I supposed to gain a hundred rating points? Okay, how, how 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 what is the right way? What is the right method? Because it, you know, losing points is a real possibility as well. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I played one of the last tournaments I played in was the Citrus Open in Barcelona. In uh, well, it'll be two years ago now, right? Pretty much because last year was a dud. And, you know, I, I had a very average performance there. And, but my goodness, have I never struggled so much in an open tournament. I was playing guys, young guys from India, from, you know, the Eastern Bloc, um, from wherever. And I was just under the cosh or struggling. I'm playing a, a guy who's 1,900, eight years old from India. He's <laughs> making me grind and sweat it, and he's putting up resistance. And I'm like, goodness me. what you know? So, you know, that sort of tournament, actually the, the, the other thing that I'm going to have to do really for the first time in my life, Ben, is tournament selection, actual game selection. You were a poker pro. You never sat down at a table, you know, on the right of somebody who was, you know, a, a, an aggressive, uh, um, a, a loose, aggressive, strong player because you knew that was a minus EV situation. Right. So am I going to now go and fly to a tournament where, you know, there are a thousand young guys playing and to get the norm, I need seven out of nine. I don't know if I am. Maybe I'm just going to be a bit more smart about where I play. So that's going to be a factor in things. So, so lots, lots and lots of things to think about when it comes to actually getting the points. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Sitges, by the way, uh, the mm -hmm. aforementioned tournament outside of Barcelona, that looks that venue looks amazing. I really want to play there someday. Oh. How was it uh, away from the board? Sorry? 
How was Sitges away from the board? Sitges away from the board. I mean, it's quite a little town because it's still actually, it's about 40 minutes from Barcelona center. Um, you know, what I did was, uh, well, actually I had a busted up knee last time I went. So it, it wasn't as fun as it, as it should have been. But, um, you know, you can get on a bike and ride, ride, uh, along the, uh, along the sea. Um, you've got little restaurants and bars in town. They've got a restaurant and bar at the place as well. Lots of activities, side activities as well. Um, you know, the air is nice. I, I do tend to like playing in tournaments where there's a sea and a beach. I have to say I am drawn towards those tournaments for whatever reason. Um, so, uh, you know, I would highly recommend it. The organization is great. Um, you know, the tournament is obviously extremely strong uh but it's a bit crowded as well it's okay. a little bit if you don't like crowded tournament then maybe it's not for you but they're just obviously trying to give everybody an opportunity uh but yeah you know places like citrus gibraltar one of my favorites and the only tournaments i've ever won have been by the beach so maybe there's uh there's a pattern there yeah, although I can't think of like you mentioned that it might you sort of infer that it might be better for you to go for sort of closed round, round robins ra well, rather than. Sorry, go ahead. Preci no, precisely. I mean, there are so many. I mean, I actually got invited to one um, in November, uh, end of November, the one that I've played in a couple of times before over in Aarhus in Denmark, and uh, Rasmus Skuda, who's the who's the organizer there, asked me to come up playing the chess house there and it was right in sort of corona i mean we're still in unknown territory time but it was really like if you remember back to november yeah. um you know borders and everything else and i just said you know what i'm just not going to do it especially because i said to myself well you're going to train first before you go and play so um yeah that's the other thing that i'm i'm really not sure how it's all going to work with Corona, you know, we're all going to have to mask up and it's all going to be weird, but the closed tournaments are definitely something I'll be looking at. Um, you know, the, the GM closed tournaments, they, they do still have a lot they, um, in Europe uh, or they did have at least, I'll be keeping my eye out for those. Ideally, you know, a closed tournament with a bunch of uh, slightly, um, you know, let's let's put it like this: unmotivated grandmasters, <laughs> and not too many young guys would be great. Just you know, that's the perfect mix. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I hear you. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, so, yeah. All right, so Lawrence, let's to wrap up. Let's hear the training regimen. So we know you're going to get a coach. You're going to work on sort of holistic approach. So yeah. get get your mind right. Get your uh, psychological game right. Yeah. Um, but you've identified your strengths and weaknesses. Um, mm -hmm. You feel like calculation is relatively um, good, but you need a lot of work on your openings and you need mm -hmm. to work on your conversion. Mm -hmm. So how does a player at your level do those things? Well, that's where hopefully having a coach actually, you know, comes in handy because, yeah, he's going to be able to basically give me exercises or or give me things to 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 go over where I can just refine everything. Um, so it's going to be just volume material, actually studying, actually picking up chess books, actually picking up a chess set, sitting there and doing it because I haven't. And we're talking hours, hour after yeah, hour. Are you ready? Uh, I was told that I have to do two to three hours a day minimum yeah. uh, in order for this to be realized. And I, I think that basically that's 
spot on. I will be need to do two to three hours of serious, not sodding around playing one minute chess on Lee Chess. This is like properly like as if I was studying for an exam. And I'll be honest with you, I've never, ever, ever done it with chess, ever. Even before this, before when I got my IM title and stuff, I never had a consistent training regimen where where I would be um, studying every day properly. So I'm going to do it for the first time. And the other thing that's going to be really important is being physically fit. So along with the chess stuff, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm 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 working out every day at the moment, but that's going to have to be the intensity of that's going to have to be upped as well. I want to be fit. I want to be cut. I need to lose a few kilos. So you know, because the concentration for long periods of time I need to improve my stamina. I'll be going back to boxing hopefully when things open up. So a lot of things have to come together in order for this to happen. And you know what? I think if I truly apply myself, if I really truly apply myself, um, I think I'll do it. If I don't, and if I do it, if I try and cut corners and if I'm if I'm half hearted, then I think it will be just, you know, I might gain. And it'll be a good publicity stunt. <laughs> then it'll be a good, but I mean, I get nothing out of it, right? So <laughs> more heartbreak. I'm done with heartbreak. 2020 was enough. Uh, I, I want some. Uh, what's the opposite of heartbreak? Some heart, yeah, I don't know, mending some yeah. heart mending. Um, so yeah, so that's that, that's the idea, and we'll see, we'll see how it all pans out. Okay, well, Lawrence, I mean, like I said, I really am rooting for you, really hope you can uh put your feet to the fire. I do find it somewhat heartening that you say you never, you never grinded that hard, and uh, yeah. um, that that's interesting. I mean, you've achieved a lot, actually. I mean. Uh, to have never really um, put in many hours a day working on chess. So um, maybe there's hope for you, Lawrence. I mean, you know, I, I, who knows? I mean, only, as they say, only time will tell. But I think, honestly, you know, if I really, hand on heart, I've never studied chess properly. Like, not like it were, you know, like some of the other guys have done especially the top guys and the guys who still do it. I've just never done it, which is why, you know, when I have a coach, which I haven't had since I was about 15, um, you know, he's going to, you know, he, especially if I'm paying quite a lot of money for it as well, you know, it's going to be like, oh, you, you know, it's going to give me that push. I realized I do need a bit of discipline from outside discipline because I can get a bit distracted if I'm just doing my own stuff. But if I'm, you know that's why boxing for example was is something that's uh, i've grown to to love because the discipline element uh, somebody pushing me is basically what i need in order to perform so we'll see we will yeah, see. we will all right i have one more question lawrence because i just thought of it um I mean, obviously, you're friendly with Magnus. You've been the manager of Fabiano, so you kind of have um, a unique perch to have insight into what, what, how people like that approach their studies. What, what have you learned from from those guys? Well, I mean, what have I learned from those guys? Well, those guys are geniuses. Uh, that's what I've learned. No, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean, even I mean, Magnus might even be slightly, uh, slightly different case because. I, I, you know, I think Magnus, so Magnus, I don't think has some, or never, not for many years anyways, had some kind of, uh, 
sort of detailed training regime where he would do three hours per day. I think the thing with Magnus, I think he said this before, was, you know, he he was always thinking about chess, like, or right. he always is thinking about So he's always working on his chess in one way or another. And obviously he's so good that he can work remotely. Yeah. I can put it, it must be nice playing beach volleyball and you can tell people you're working on your chess. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So he's kind of always thinking about it or he saw something and he finds it interesting. And he'll, you know, the, whereas there are other guys, if you if you look at the top players like the Fabies and the Wesleys who actually do sit down with a, with, with a coach, with a computer or whatever else and actually um, grind. So, um, I, I mean, I can't really, yeah, I, Again, I can't really take anything from them in the sense of, you know, what I should be doing. All I know is that I should be doing something consistently. That's the only thing. It's just about <laughs> right. being consistent. The, the actual method of the consistency uh, is unclear. It, it works, it's whatever works for you. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, I think that uh, just, just, you know, if you make a, a promise to yourself as well, like, Especially if you invest in yourself, not only time, but hopefully, you know, if I've got a, if I've got a bunch of cash on the line as well, then I really have got no other option, right? I it's, yeah. it's just going. I'm just going to work. It's going to work and achieving a goal. And um, so, anyone listening, if they're interested in betting against Lawrence, you could say they're they're kind of performing a service. I mean, you you yeah. want them to, right, Lawrence? I, so I do. I, I want them to. And you know, if you want to really get at me with a with a serious offer, uh, you've got my uh, Twitter at Lawrence Trent IM. You can DM me or just uh, message saying that you're interested in doing. And as I say, it doesn't have to be large or anything like that. I could do a lot of cumulative stuff. I'll create a spreadsheet or something like that. And we'll settle, you know, when the terms are there. But ultimately, what I'm looking at is something like a two year or 200 game um, uh, bet. I would prefer doing the yearly bet because probably, um, yeah, it's just uh, keeps you from dragging it out for one thing. It keeps me from dragging it out. Exactly. 200 games I could drag out for five years. So just the two year thing would be best. And I'm looking at somewhere in the region of four or five to one. So something in the middle, four and a half to one. And if you think that I've got absolutely no chance, which is, you know, a totally valid point of view, uh, get at me. And uh, we'll see if we can do some business. Good stuff, man. Well, I can't wait to see how this unfolds. And uh, yeah, let uh, make us proud, Lawrence, um, and uh, keep us posted. I will. And Ben, I want to say thank you so much. And uh, thank you again for your service to uh, the chess community. Your continued service, this podcast has been going for so long now. Um, I, I, it's really great that you've managed to keep it going. Um, and yeah, everybody support this podcast in any way you can see fit. Um, Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, I, it. I, that reminds me, any FEB, full English breakfast reunion I mean, episodes in the hopper? We, I did actually talk to Macaulay a, a few weeks ago about it. We, we briefly spoke about it. Um, we haven't got anything penciled in just of yet, just just yet. That's because, um, you know, we, we, we're all doing lots of stuff. I mean, we're all still actually involved in chess, funnily enough. Um, but, you know, coordinating it and getting it on, uh, we haven't managed to do yet, but I'm sure there will be something in the future. Uh, Excellent. That's good to hear. Yeah. Okay. All right, Lawrence. All right. Good luck and uh, and thanks for thanks for the info and uh, listeners. If anyone's interested in uh, motivating Lawrence, you uh, you 
you can either hit him on Twitter or if you need help contacting him, I can help with that. Um, all right. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ben. Cheers. As always, Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Chessable is a chess learning website that utilizes its move trainer technology to help you learn and remember opening lines, tactical patterns, and end games. It is endorsed by GM Magnus Carlsen and features courses from IM John Bartholomew, Sam Shanklin, Wesley So, and so many others. Chessable has over 100,000 members and features hundreds of courses, both for free and for purchase. So if you haven't checked it out yet, please go to chessable.com and take a look around. And we are back for another uh, guest on our special feature of uh, IMs who will be pursuing the Grandmaster title. And joining me momentarily will be the nine-time state champion of Minnesota. Um, he's often tangled with and become friendly with uh, uh, Minnesota chess stars. I am John Bartholomew and Grandmaster Andrew Tang, a.k.a. Penguin GM. Um, he is a lawyer by training. He uh, works in corporate and securities law. Uh, he was on a partner track until his first child arrived in 2013. He now has three kids and has mostly been staying at home with them in recent years, but also still practicing law and working on his chess. Uh, he is 38 years of age, a FIDE rating of 2417 with a peak of 2445, and I am ready to bring him in. Um, I am Sean Nagel. Thanks for joining us, Sean. Hi, Ben. Thanks a lot for having me. It's really an honor to be on the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. So what, what what's in the water in Minnesota, first of all, Sean? How are you guys so good at chess? <laughs> yeah, we definitely, definitely punch above our weight, I think it's fair to say, with... Uh, with the John and and Andrew Tang that you mentioned, and you know Wesley So also lives here, but we can't. Oh take, yeah, that name rings a bell. <laughs> we can't take credit for for uh, growing him from the ground up. So potential good training partner, though I'm sure I'm sure he'd be glad to help you out, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, he's the nicest guy in the world. Um, and you live uh, outside of Minneapolis, correct? Yeah, I live in a suburb of Minneapolis. Uh, it's called Plymouth, and it's actually the same. Same suburb as Andrew Tang's family, um, and uh, other side of town from John Bartholomew, though. Okay, and where is Wesley in, in the great state of Minnesota? Uh, he, they moved recently, so I don't know exactly, but also like suburban twin. All of us are in the different suburbs of the Twin Cities of you know Minneapolis area. Okay, and have so, you ever seen him in the wild there in Minnesota? Uh, yeah, when he first came, which I don't know how many years ago that was now, maybe four or five years ago. Um, I I was fortunate to interact with him a fair bit because he was kind of new here and uh, he hadn't quite made it as big as he has now. So we even were able to have some kind of training sessions just just because I was, you know, the closest, best, best thing. And, and of course, um, I learned a lot from that but ostensibly that was for his benefit but um he he's i think upgraded his his training partners since then presumably um but no he makes appearances you know in connection with the he used to play for the minnesota blizzard chess team um so we saw him in connection with that and also he'll show up at like the state bigger state tournaments and kind of make an appearance and and he's given a lecture to at, at the local chess club so yeah. he's definitely part of the scene and, and very well liked. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. And with, with what he's been doing in these uh, online events and events in particular, I feel like if, if it were fully open for any chess player to challenge Magnus for the world championship, I kind of think at this moment he might have the best chance to win, but alas, he won't be the one playing Magnus at the end of this year. No, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, well, Sean, let's get to your, your chess career. So you were top player in Minnesota for, you know, many, many years. Um, and then life got in the way as it tends to do. Um, so what's your relationship been with chess in the past 15 years? Sure. So, um, I, you know, lived in Minnesota my whole life until the year 2000 when I graduated high school. Um, and at that point, so I became a, a national master at, at age 15 and a FIDE master at 17 um, in like the 2400 USCF um, ballpark kind of at the end of high school. And then I went to college um, at University of Chicago um, where I was actually able to keep playing chess, not like devoting time to studying chess, but we did have a team and we did go to the Pan Ams and things. Um, but, you know, there was a, a small rating dip during that period as there was less chess happening. Um, and then law school in Michigan uh, from 2004 to 2007. Um, and then since then, I've been back in Minnesota, pretty much restricted to just um, a few tournaments a year in Minnesota, like the Minnesota Open every year. And then there's the way it works in Minnesota is we have the Minnesota Open and then the top six players from that play in a round robin called the Minnesota Closed. And that determines the state champion. So every year I would do those two tournaments um, and occasionally something else. Um, okay. And would you train in advance of those tournaments? Um, yeah. So we'll talk more, I guess, about my current training approach and, and changes recently, but in general, over the years, there hasn't been a lot of time for studying just realistically. Um, so yeah, kind of in the month leading up to a tournament, it'd be, let's, let's try to learn some openings all of a sudden, or let's right. do some, let's do some tactics. Um, but no working with a coach or playing training games with anybody or, or anything like that. And, and honestly, still, still not doing either of those those things, but, but pretty minimal training, I would say, really throughout since high school. Okay. And are you, are you playing online? Do you like, is chess like sort of constantly in your life or yeah. is it on the back burner at times? Uh, chess, it's always here for sure. So every day, virtually every day, I think something related to chess. Um, often that's just a blitz game on my phone. Um, but, uh, it's, it's always around for sure. Okay. And now you say you're, you're kind of thinking about or starting to change your, your regimen. So what's happening now, Sean? Um, uh, so backing up, I guess one step before that is, um, something that was surprising to me, um, I don't want to sound like a humble brag, I guess, but um, in the period after, say, college, um, and so right after college, I went to Budapest for three months because I, I had some time between the end of college and the beginning of law school. And I 
got two of my needed three IAM norms in, in Budapest. Then I came back and there wasn't a lot of um, big norm tournaments or any norm tournaments happening for me. But but my rating did pretty consistently move up um, over the years. And um, that wasn't based on any chess study or chess training. So it it makes me feel like there's room for chess improvements based almost on increased maturity and life experience. Um, and, and that's something that I think I need to rely on to compete with some of these youngsters who, um, you know, have quicker minds and more time to study, but they don't have the experience of maturity. Um, so, so somehow the climb just kept happening and it was easy maybe to get complacent and think, well, that would, that would continue indefinitely. But, um, in the last couple of years, um, I seem to have ridden that as far as I could ride it. Right. So my, my USCF rating had at some point got up to 2580 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, now it's dropped, it's in the l- lower 2500s. Um, so I feel like, okay, I, I need, if I want to keep improving, I need to change what I'm doing. It's not, it, it's not reasonable to expect different results unless I'm doing something differently. Um, I think someone had a quote about that once. Yeah, yeah or what? Yeah. Um, and another quote that I like is is um, so you're I think talking about the definition of insanity. Yeah. Uh, quote. Um, but another quote is is uh, what got you here won't get you there, right? So yeah. what what got me to my level of of I am, um, it's not going to be enough to get me to that next level. Um, and I guess we we skipped the the final step, which was I had my two IM norms from 2004, and then in 2014, ten years later, I got the final IM norm at the World Open, and that wow, was in an open tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I went to DC. It was in DC, not the old um, Philadelphia, and uh, I played in two back to back tournaments. I forget it's called the. Washington International or something like that. Yeah, the Philadelphia when it's in Philly, but yeah, <laughs> but um, and it it led then into the to the World Open, and I did pretty poorly in that first tournament, um, but then in the World Open, every everything kind of went my way. So um, I was very fortunate, and that was I left the law firm entirely in 2013, and I didn't go back part time until 2015. So. Uh, and we only had one child at that point. So I was able to kind of leave town for two weeks, go stay with a friend who lived in DC and, and just do those tournaments. Um, so that, that was very fortunate for me. Yeah, that must've been a good feeling. And I did just want to explain for any listeners, the reason where that I'm impressed that it's an open tournament is as, as I discussed in the interviews that you guys will hear with uh, Lawrence and Attilo in these closed tournaments, you can know for sure that you'll get a norm if you attain a certain performance. Also, if you heard my interview with uh, FM Peter Giannatos about how they put on norm tournaments down in Charlotte, he was saying like the person can know going in that all they have to do is perform. But anytime you play in an open tournament, that is not going to be the case because there's a high degree of randomness in who you play. And there's a lot of sort of um, strict rules about like when the norm is attainable. And that's true for the IM norm that Sean thankfully attained, as he mentioned, but it becomes even more... Um, exacting as you reach a higher level when you need a GM norm 
um, you need even more things to fall into place, obviously. Um, so, so you can have an amazing performance, but if you didn't play the right people, you still might not get a norm. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that of course factors into planning if you're going to chase the GM title, as we'll discuss. But I want to read a Patreon question to you, uh, Sean. This is from uh, Aaron Holloway Nahum, who I've um, been asking uh, this question in some form to um, our other GM chasers as well, uh, which is, what does a GM understand slash know put into practice about chess? that an IM doesn't, and what do you specifically need to work on? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, and I I really wish I knew the exact answer because <laughs> then I would, I would do it and I would uh, be a GM. Um, but it's also, it's, it's a good question because it, it, it uh, makes me think, you know, sometimes we just keep chugging away at what we're doing without actually thinking, is this what I need? Um, is this going to be what makes me improve? Um, and I don't think it's a, a difference in kind. I think it's a difference in, in degree, in, in a variety of... It's not like a GM knows X, which IM is lacking. I think every GM and IM is different, but the GM overall has fewer gaps in, in their play. So they're just consistently stronger across the board. Um, and speaking only for myself, IMs can be shockingly weak in in basic areas. You know, I am. Um, we don't necessarily know that much about a lot of stuff. You know, there's still so much to know and so much to learn. That um, uh, there are certainly even say um, 2200s or 2000 players who might say know more about rook endings than a particular IM does. Right. So like. For me, maybe I never learned, yeah, basic rook endings. Um, but yeah, you could still become an IM because you compensated for it in other ways. All right, any any strong player has their strengths that they, and you try to shield your weaknesses, you know, or prevent those from becoming relevant in actual games. Um, so for me personally, um, I've always, I would say, had a rather underdeveloped opening repertoire um and i so it's like it's like being a a boxer or something with there's there's you're weak in like some ribs and you really don't want to get hit there so you're you're kind of favoring that side right. i mean i i'm steering my chess games in the way that will be successful for me, so in, in my case, that meant I play the exchange variation against the Slav every time, you know. Okay. And um, am I an expert on it? No, I don't. Have I honestly even studied any theory to the extent there is much on that? No, or or memorized Grandmaster games? No, but I've played so many games with it, including Blitz games. I just feel comfortable in that kind of stable setup. Know where the pieces go. Um, and so, like, that's an example of maybe I have this weakness, but I, 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 I'm not going to go into a Nightorf Poison Pond variation because that's not my strength, knowing the theory really deep. Um, and for me, I've been able to have the success I've had to date with that sort of a repertoire um, because maybe I'm better than the average, say, Fide master or or national master 
um, in other ways. So I can get this equal game and then outplay them um, based on other characteristics. But that doesn't really work if it's I need to go play against a, a tournament full of GMs and beat them starting from from a dead equal position every time with white, it's just not enough. It's just not going right. to cut it. Um, so for me, as, as a as a coach, you know, I, I have done coaching over the years, um, less so since child number three has arrived just because of time limitations. But I, I give the usual advice of openings aren't everything and, and that's not where you should spend all your time. But I, I honestly feel for me, um, the opening repertoire is just objectively a, a weakness of mine. So, you know, I've played the exchange Slav every time. Um, I've basically got the IM title by playing G6 on move one as black almost every game. Again, not necessarily knowing a lot of theory about it, but just having experience and comfort. But but you get into trouble against GMs. Um, okay. Well, that's... Approach. In a sense, that seems like it could be heartening because that's more easily fixable, as I am Greg Shahadi recently discussed. Um, you know, that it doesn't require these uh, feats of um, uh, superpower mental acuity. You just kind of have to do the work. Is that? Do you agree? I agree, and and like him and other of your guests have talked about, it's easy, certainly easier than it's ever been to yeah. to upgrade your openings just wholesale. And, you know, Chessable has been a great resource for that. And uh, Greg has an excellent YouTube video where he really goes through his personal process for improving his openings, which um, is one I had kind of espoused myself, uh, but had never really crystallized in the way that he did in that video, which, you know, you play, you have your repertoire, you, you play blitz games. After each blitz game, you check where did you go wrong. And then you can actually build your own course on Chessable you don't just need to do the courses that you can obtain there. You can create your own kind of opening tree and then drill those mistakes you, you keep making so that you kind of piecemeal bit by bit can build up your repertoire just by if you play a lot of blitz games and play what you intend to play in tournaments in those blitz games and then actually take the time to go back and look at where you made mistakes and, and learn from it. Um, so don't don't treat blitz as just you know garbage games where you try anything. Um, play your real stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, I think that advice is particularly good for players over two thousand. But definitely at your level, I can like that that can be huge. So you're mm -hmm. working on slowly but surely working on revamping your your opening repertoire, and you've also I think I saw you've been doing some of uh, Jakob Agard's classes. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, so his uh, Killer Chess Academy, formerly, uh, uh, 360, formerly 365. Chess 365. Yeah. yeah, that's that's been great. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like um, Zoom style, um, real time lessons. Um, not where you're you you can't see each other, but it's like there's a presenter giving with a chessboard and and their image on the screen, and there's. Uh, chat window where they'll ask questions and you type in your your responses um, and you can do those in real time or if your schedule doesn't work they record the lessons and you you watch the recordings and for me personally unfortunately my schedule with uh, having three young kids um, you know I, I can't just do a lesson during the day um, in real time so I 
almost always I'm watching recordings. Um, okay. But but the real time ones are even better because you, you really are on the spot more and feel some ownership in in uh, any suggestions you put forward rather than just uh, nodding along and saying, "Oh, I, I saw that." Um, go ahead. Dare I ask if you're doing his famed calculation homework? Uh, the homework club. Um, I, yeah. I, I print it out and and do as much as, as I get a chance to do. I I have unfortunately not actually submitted it for feedback. I just haven't, you know, made that made that effort. Um, but I don't know how. I, I think it'd be fascinating to see a lecture by him. Um, and his colleagues of how they come up with such good positions. And, and they're so instructive. Um, so I know others of your guests have talked about uh, preferring books over like tactics trainers. And I'm firmly in that camp. I mean, just the, the effort that goes into picking these really brilliant examples is, is really nice. That's great. Um, so what kind of schedule are we thinking? Like if we add up the hours, sure. you're going you're to be able to spend on chess. And backing up uh, the, the one other, so I don't want to make it sound like opening. It's, it's not the case. Uh, would better openings make me a grandmaster by themselves? No. I mean, it, uh, if I look at how I've lost, uh, and I did this for the purposes of the interview, how have I come up short in, you know, when I lose games, why do I lose? Um, half the time maybe it's because I don't get out of the opening with an acceptable position, but half the time it's just they're better. I mean, they're better all around. Uh, their calculation is, is better. They, they don't have lapses in concentration and, and they're really hard to bring down even when you have the advantage. Um, and I don't mean to sound like they're fundamentally different because I think the difference between me and a, a non-IM you could say all those same things. I mean, I, I think I'm difficult to beat, but I'm not as difficult to beat as most grandmasters. Um, and so in particular for me, uh, the calculation, um, so I don't, so I don't think it's a matter of kind of learning more about chess. Is there some concepts, you know, you know, like the basics, like, you know, having control of the center is important or something. I don't, I don't think there's more kind of bits of advice like that. It's more the, it's the knowledge versus skill kind of question. And, and I need to improve the skill of calculating clearly and, and maintaining concentration without any lapses. That's interesting. Cause when you said you were like trotting out one G six to get to the level that you've gotten, I assumed you must be quite good at calculating. Agreed. But it's a question of degree, right? Okay. I mean, I'm yeah. not as good as most GMs. I think yeah. I'm, I think I'm maybe better than most IMs, but, okay. but you know, that's, that's not enough. Yeah. Um, okay. So okay. bringing it back to how much you're going to sure. study. Um, yeah. So I actually, um, since around Thanksgiving and I wish I could say why, um, but since around then I've started tracking what I'm up to. Um, and I have a spreadsheet that I'll refer to now. Um, so what I've done is I just make a tab on a, on a Google spreadsheet for each week. And then I have a tab that's a summary tab where it, it feeds into with like my data for all the weeks. So I have 12 weeks of data now. Um, and I'm doing, on average, my daily study time has been 
105 minutes. So that's an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. Um, and that um, is not the, the kind of crazy amount. Um, you know, I'm not shutting myself in and, and studying chess eight hours a day, both because I, I don't have that time, but also I don't want to spend my time <laughs> that way. Um, uh, but honestly, I think that's an, that's enough. I think slow but steady wins the race here. I, I don't think it's like dieting or something. If you want to, or, or getting in shape, you don't go to the gym for 12 hours a day for the next six months. You, you go to the gym an hour, four times a week for the rest of your life, you know? Right. Um, so for me personally, it's not, I'm not in the, a short term struggle to go get GM norms. I'm in a long-term process of becoming a GM. That's how I view it. Um, and there's a quote that I really like from Maurice Ashley, actually, um, from the book Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. Um, and he's talking about his quest for the GM title. And he he recounts after losing a must-win game that would have got him, I think, his final norm. He's consoled by... Uh, Grandmaster Alex Shabalov. And Shabalov says to him, In order to become a Grandmaster, you must already be one. And he said, I understood right there that I had to get back to work uh, on perfecting myself before I could actually go about winning games. That idea has kept my eyes focused on the process over the result ever since. And as I think about that, it, it's not a matter of, okay, I'm going to go play these tournaments, I got to get the norms. It's no, I need to, I need to become a grandmaster. And once okay. you're a grandmaster, the norms will come. Um, and, and I think that's a mistake I've made historically in these last number of years, because I've had limited access to norm tournaments. I have not played in many tournaments um, because I think, well, what's the point? Why should I go play if I can't get a norm? But I could go learn something if I go play, you know, I could go improve my skills or, or stay sharp or, you know, be working on my openings and testing them out um, to think, okay, now I'm going to flip a switch and, and go to a norm tournament and have any reasonable chance of success, I think is foolish. Um, so my advice to my former self <laughs> and to, to other people going, you know, trying to, obtain titles, whether it's, uh, you know, FM, say you're trying to become an FM, but you don't have access to many FIDE tournaments. That doesn't mean you shouldn't play in any tournaments. You should still play because you can still improve and learn. Um, and for me, it, it's, it's the same. So um, I would currently be much more interested in a tournament with good competition that gives me a chance to learn rather than saying, well, it's not a norm tournament. So why expand the resources to do it? That's a good attitude. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's good to hear. Um, yeah. So, how do you like? I get what you're saying, and it's it's a great philosophy, and uh, I think um, a lot of listeners could could take something from that, even if they're not chasing norms. They're just they just should commit to the slow process of getting better at chess. But nonetheless, you're in kind of a unique situation, and that like if you never go out of your way to get norms, you'll probably never get them, right? Like you could get to 2,500 FIDE, but the norms themselves are just, uh, there's so many 
um, there's so much randomness in terms of getting it that if you're not like traveling to these invitationals at some point, um, that it's going to be tough. So have you gotten that far or are you still in the like, I just need to get better point of the journey? Uh, no, I mean, I think about it, um, but I think about it with a longer time horizon than uh, I think some other norm chasers, perhaps, or title chasers. Um, yeah, Lawrence is looking, for example, he's been explicit. He wants to do it in two years. Like he he wants his he wants a bet that it'll be done in two years. So And maybe that'll work for him. I mean, he's he's close already. Uh, maybe he only needs one more norm and, and a few rating points. And, and it, if he doesn't have family, uh, yeah, there's there's, a, yeah. there's every chance of success. Um, so maybe I'm gravitating towards a slow but steady philosophy because that's that's the only one I, I can, you know, just, right. just logistically. But a lot of people are in, the, even people, again, not chasing titles are in the same boat. So it's good to right. hear about. Um, and it seems to make sense to me as chess players. I mean, we, we, we live in the, in the future. We're always thinking several moves ahead. And uh, so maybe it's naive. But I, I think um, even as I continue to age, um, I don't see it, why I would ever give up on the aspiration of, of the GM title, um, whether it's by 45 or, or 55. I mean, th that it will always be there, though, of course, I would like it to be more short term. So concretely, I think, um, you know, once COVID's behind us, um, I would like to maybe be able to play, say, one to two norm tournaments a year. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but not, I'm going to go away from my family for three months and do uh, six norm tournaments in a row. I mean, that's just never going to happen. Um, but I don't think it needs to. Um, I, I think, but the improvement and uh, needs to happen, and that can happen on an ongoing basis. And then the tournaments, you know, they'll come. And there have been norm tournaments, fortunately for me, organized um, here in Minnesota by Andrew Tang's father, Patrick Tang. And who knows if those will continue now that Andrew's uh, already got his GM title and, and moved on to kind of the bigger and better things. But I, I think it might. Um, but there are just more opportunities locally and around the United States than there's ever been. Um, it's not like back in 2004 when I went to Budapest and had to live there for three months. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, if you don't mind my asking, like you've you've talked to your wife, I assume, and obviously this would be their first chess trip. So you're she's on board at least to some extent with you playing a few tournaments a year. And yeah, so I'm lucky in that my wife is is a chess player. So um, I'm she's very understanding um, uh, as much as one could be with with all we have on our plates. Um, but yeah, I met my wife in chess club and. Uh, you know, she's a chess player. She has not played in tournaments since college, but she she played for Stanford at the Pan Ams. She's about eighteen hundred or so. Um, and like me, you know, chess is always there. She'll play blitz games on her phone um, most days. But uh, um, so she understands and she knows me and knows how competitive and driven I am, and and that this bug will always be there. Um, so I think she would be happier to have me have it out of my system and <laughs> not um but yeah like i said i mean i could never imagine leaving home for more than say two weeks 
like even that sounds kind of crazy to me. I mean, maybe one week um, for one tournament at a time. So maybe two one week stints at different times of the year um, would be reasonable at this point. Okay. But I think she's on board with that. Yeah. Cool. And as, as the kids grow, uh, that should be more feasible. Right. Yeah. Your youngest is two, right? Yeah. We have two, five and seven right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The two is the most challenging one <laughs> in terms of uh, the chess, obviously. Um, cool. Well, Sean, uh, I think I just have like maybe one, one or two more questions, which is, uh, do you have any, any books you're particularly eager to crack? Like, is there, is there anything that you're just like super psyched to get into, or is it going to be primarily the uh, killer chess training with, with Grandmaster Agard and his, um, his colleagues and uh, and the opening work that you mentioned, building your repertoire through Chessable. Um, books I'm excited to crack. Um, I'm not sure. Just one second. I mean, all of all of Ogard's Grandmaster preparation books. I mean, I've cracked them, but I haven't methodically completed every exercise in them. Um, I recently completed actually every exercise, I think for the first time ever that I've gone through an entire book front to back. I went through Universal Chess Training oh, wow. um, by uh, GM Miranda that you had on your show, um, which I thought was was really excellent. Um, and I'm inspired by that moving on to to more books in a more comprehensive front to back kind of way. But I, I don't think it's a... I don't think it's a matter of the perfect material. I think it's more about the approach um, approach taken to that material, how diligent you are and how seriously you're working. Um, and and one thing you know that I talked about before with like the maturity and, and kind of wisdom that comes with age, um, I would like to put a plug in for reading beyond chess that I think can help your chess. Um, like for example, I read the book, um, The Inner Game of Tennis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like a cult classic. Yeah. And I, I, you can take so many lessons from, from a book like that about just having a quiet mind and, and kind of improving your performance. And it's funny, I, I had a really successful outing in the Pro Chess League some years back where I was on board four and I went 4-0 one week. And like that had never happened because usually the board fours get killed. Um, and, and I had been reading that book a lot, you know, kind of just having the calm mind and not overthinking things really helps. So you can learn, and there's a lot of books out there about like mastery and habits and, and uh, deliberate practice and, and so much reading that I think chess players would benefit from instead of just chess books. Yeah, um, Michael Lewis um, has a podcast series called Against the Rules, and he did a series about coaching. So I actually have not read Inner Game of Tennis, but he interviewed coaches from uh, different walks of life. Mm -hmm. And he said that book came up in like every interview, basically. So it's high on my list, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Sure. So Inner Game of Tennis and other books that you by a chess player. There's a book, The Art of Learning by Joss Waitzkin that I think um, is really good. And, and these things I maybe I'm just a bit of a junkie that I, I like reading this stuff and maybe it's ultimately distracting me from more hardcore chess studying, but I, I find it very motivating. And if that's going to get me to study harder, I think it's worth the, the sidetrack. Um, and one other kind of, kind of self-helpy principle that I really like is to compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Um, and you don't know what, 
what other what games kind of other people are playing at in their life are they you know having a successful career a demanding family life or are they fully to compare yourself to someone who's not in your circumstance just doesn't make sense so focus on yourself and and the gradual improvement over yesterday um and that's the road to improvement in my opinion excellent all right well sean last question we know you've got the uh the big picture in mind but do you know what your next tournament like we don't even know when COVID's going to be over, but assuming that there's just the second half of this year, have you thought about what you might play? Um, Unfortunately, no, I, I don't have an X tournament. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to plan right now. So yeah, so it makes sense. Um, well, excellent. Well, we'll definitely be rooting for you, Sean. Um, you know, I'll be uh, tracking this story. So both on social media and uh, you know, if, um, if you get a norm or something, or you just want to drop a quick update for me to, um, relay to the audience. I'd be happy to do so. Um, but, uh, but I wish you uh, good luck and I, I really like your perspective. I, I like the patient approach. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. Keep up the great work. I love listening to your show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, so good luck and, um, hopefully I'll, uh, see you at one of these tournaments. Okay. Take care. And I am back with I am Sean Nagel. Two days after our initial interview, there's actually a couple things that we meant to mention but forgot. So we're going to do a quick addendum to our interview. <laughs> Number one, um, there were a couple books that Sean wanted to mention. So Sean, I'll let you take it away. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thanks for humoring me here. There was um, we had talked earlier about the inner game of tennis and kind of working on your your mindsets as a chess player. So so the merits of of reading books that aren't chess books necessarily, but could really help you out. And there was a, just a few more like that that I really wanted to call out. And, and one that's a hybrid, that's a chess book and a mindset book is chess. It's called Chess Improvement. It's all in the mindset. And you've actually had the authors on Barry Heimer and Peter Wells. And I just think this is an amazing book. And it's, I've read it already, but it's also the one I'm, uh, I can't wait to crack open on my nightstand and, and reread. Um, so I just think, uh, there's so much good advice in here about how to study chess, how to keep your you know motivation up, what kind of attitude to have. Um, and it, it's a nice combination of the social science. Barry Heimer is a professor of psychology and Peter Wells is a British grandmaster. Um, and I kind of suspect this, this is just such a fertile area for chess improvement. I think at some point there's going to be you know, diminishing returns on how much how much ch pure chess content you know can can be generated and consumed. But this is a totally different angle, and it's more working on your mindsets. and And maybe you don't learn any new chess concepts, but you apply what you do have in a much more powerful way. Um, so I would I really like that book, and I'm anxious to do a deeper dive. And, and that book itself builds on a classic in, in this space, which is called Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is a very famous, famous book, which if you want to go deeper after chess improvement, I think Mindset by Carol Dweck and the book Grit by Angela Duckworth would be really great. Those three books for, for players, coaches, and parents, I, as, I, as I was reading it, I, I found myself thinking, you know, parents should really know this stuff about, you know, not, not focusing on kind of the short-term results, focusing on the process, how to help your kids deal with setbacks or plateaus and keep them motivated. Um, just so much good advice in there. Um, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, <laughs> thinking about kids, um, 
There's a book, also not at all a chess book, but at least motivating to me. It's called Getting Unstuck, Break Free of the Plateau Effect by Bob Sullivan and Hugh Thompson. And, you know, most most chess players have been, many of us have been on a plateau for years or decades. And this just has a lot of creative ideas for uh, how to get unstuck and um, maybe take some new approaches to your training or playing that, that could be helpful. So all those books um, I would really recommend. And, and in terms of a chess specific book, um, the, the collaboration between Jakob Ogard and Boris Gelfand, the series of four books about Gelfand's um, games and focusing on different areas of chess. Um, I've also kind of read through, but I haven't really done a deep dive of studying them. And those would be top of mind for me as well. Yeah, um, I, I was with you, Sean. I was feeling good because I'd read the first three books you mentioned. Obviously, I read Chess Improvement before I interviewed um, Dr. Heimer and Grandmaster Wells. And uh, yeah, definitely the kind of book you can go back to. And Mindset is a nice quick read. So that one's um, that one's kind of low-hanging fruit. And uh, Grit's a good book as well. But you you got me with getting unstuck. And uh, as as we record, my blitz rating is stuck. So I might need to, <laughs> I might need to read that one. Yeah, it's really good. And it got me thinking of just totally novel approaches. So yeah, um, we talked earlier, like what got you here won't get you there. Just what's what you've been doing has got you to a certain level. And if you want to get to that next level, you got to shake it up. And so like, for example, I haven't really implemented this too much yet. But kind of a weird training idea I had was, um, you hear about blindfold chess, um, you training. Um, but you know, I don't want to just work on blindfold chess. I want to work on building out my opening repertoire. So I thought, well, one idea would be to record myself saying the moves um, up until the spot. So say I'm doing a chessable course and I, I have on there would be a difficult move. I think they call it, or one you repeatedly fail. You could just say the, say the moves leading up to it make a little file on your phone and then you you're listening with your eyes closed and you're practicing your blindfold skills and then you need to say what the answer is um and that would be a way to kind of combine uh opening training with blindfold training um and i've never seen that kind of suggested it, it's maybe it's a worthwhile idea maybe not but it's a kind of totally different approach that i think could help shake up a plateau yeah. Yeah, it's worth a try and involve different senses. Sometimes there can be like a more of a trigger if you involve a different sense. So, yeah. sure. Um, and one other thing I wanted to touch on um, uh, with respect to the Gelfand books, and we started. You asked what's what's in the water in Minnesota. Why are there so many uh, good players, notably uh, beyond me, John Bartholomew and, and Andrew Tang? But there, there's a quite a deeper bench too of, of other promising juniors. Um, and, and a common thread through there that I just really want to uh, acknowledge is my childhood trainer, uh, Edward Zelkin, a FIDE master from Russia who moved to the U S in around 1980. Um, and he was actually Boris Gelfand's uh, trainer until Boris was 11. So, you know, a significant role in, in Gelfand's formative years, because now I guess Boris would be expected to be a GM by the time he was 11. Um, but, but um, you know, I, it was just so fortunate for me to have this kind of a chess teacher. He already was doing group lessons at my local elementary school. I just stumbled into like this perfect environment 
and you know quickly went from that to private lessons and he took me really all the way from from beginner to either master or strong expert or, or something like that but you know has been there the whole way and and you know ultimately you know attended my wedding and um just is, is still a, a, a really lifelong mentor figure. So I, I want to acknowledge him. Excellent. Yeah. And when I interviewed Boris Gelfin, I believe vis-a-vis -vis Peter Newhall, fellow Minnesotans question, I believe that, uh, that uh, Fide Master, um, um, I'm going to say Gelfin Zelkin. Sorry. <laughs> Zelkin. <laughs> Zelkin's name came up and Boris, uh, Boris's face lit up. So um, well, yeah. well respected by many. And and like me, we share the thing that he he married his childhood sweetheart, who he met through chess. So oh, that's that's a nice it, connection. It's, it's a funny funny world, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Sean, uh, any other addendums? I do think this was worthwhile. So I appreciate you uh, you reaching out. Uh, no, I, I those books and that kind of shout outs. Um, I, I feel I feel better having those included. Okay, and excellent. Just thank you so much, Ben, and and I can't wait to keep listening to everything you're doing. Excellent. Yeah, keep up the good work and I hope to see you at a tournament sometime. All right, take care. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by ChessMood.com. Here is what ChessMood offers. It is a subscription-based website that provides a comprehensive opening repertoires both for white and for black. They also have middle game and end game videos from their cast of professional Grandmaster trainers. They also have some free content that you can check out. Grandmaster Avchek Gregorian, who's their founder and you can hear on episode 192 of Perpetual Chess, has a blog where he writes about common challenges for tournament players that you can check out for free. And they also started offering free YouTube videos called Daily Lessons with the Grandmaster. So go to their website, check out what they have to offer, and be sure to subscribe to their YouTube as well. And let's get back to the interview. And we are back with another guest in our special I Am to GM feature. And this guest is a 42-year-old Hungarian international master, dad, and chess trainer. He became an IM in 1997 at the age of 18 and was also the Hungarian junior champion in 1998, the subsequent year. He also started as a chess trainer at age 16, and that has been his primary emphasis chess-wise since then. He's an active blogger on chess.com. His blog is called, actually, Road to Grandmaster, um, and recently, he has redoubled his efforts to improve his chess strength and hopefully chase the GM title. Uh, he's been working with grandmasters like R.B. Ramesh and Rustam Kashimjanov, both of whom have been on the show, by the way. Now he's got his first GM Norm tournament coming up a couple weeks from the time we're recording. But if this is released when I think it will be, it will actually be ongoing. So we look forward to tracking his progress in that event and many more to come. But without further ado, let's bring in our guest. I am Attila Terzo. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for being able to join you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to track your journey, to live vicariously through you, Attila. Um, uh, for one thing, you, Lawrence Trent, Sean Nagel, all obviously strong players, different stations in life. But being that you're the oldest of the three people that we'll be interviewing, you're 42, I'm 44, um, I think I identify with you the most. Um, and it's such a daunting uh, goal. I know you've been over 2,400 feet A, but now you're at 2,300. Um, so a lot of rating points to gain, a lot of work to do. So why now, Attila? What, what makes you decide to pull the trigger on this uh, daunting task? <laughs> You know, time to time, I was uh, 
I, I was thinking to try to do it, but uh, somehow life was always in, in the middle and uh, starting a family and then doing some other stuff. Like two years ago, when I was 40, actually, then I was my... Somehow, you know, the age was the sign, I think, for me. So I said, okay, it's uh, it's like uh, soon we'll be out of our out of the top four, probably already the top players are maybe now this became much younger and younger, I think, when they are in their top form. But like there are some encouraging uh, players like maybe Vishyanand, who even when was 50 years old, was still in the like the top 10. So I hope there are some hope. But yeah, age age was, I think, the primary primary thing to to decide to let's take a last, last and biggest effort, which... I was maybe lazy in the in previous times to do. So do yeah, I so I did some recon. I watched you've been doing this amazing feature where you and uh esteemed trainer Grandmaster RB Ramesh, who of course uh has been on the show and has launched a chess academy. You guys are streaming lessons that you do together, which are available on YouTube or you can catch them on Twitch Live. Um I'll put the links to when you can catch them in the show description, but I saw your interview with, uh, with RB Ramesh and, uh, you mentioned, well, one of them, and you mentioned that you felt like despite your successes, despite your having been one of the top juniors, um, in your, in your day as a junior in Hungary and having won the junior championship, you felt like you didn't work that hard on chess at that point. Um, is that, do you, is that true? And why do you think that is if so? Actually, in, in that time, I was very much interested about spirituality. So I was uh, doing yoga. I started to become a vegan. And somehow I was uh, very much concentrated on the meaning of life and psychology and different f- philosophies I was reading and practicing. And and somehow in, in one stage of the life, I was thinking, okay, I just wanted to concentrate on, on enlightenment to on about these kind of things and uh, for that actually was the like became a also I was asked to be a chess coach very very early so that was I think also another important point and uh, it, it made me busy so from that point it somehow I had like an inner conflict I was saying I cannot be a, like a good chess trainer and also a good chess player in the same time and uh, somehow I needed some uh, more time to decide on, on this. it should be possible to at least some extent so it's not not a hopeless effort <laughs> to, yeah. to to be good in both because that, there are actually there are some very strong players who also they are coaches and they still play but somehow it was for me like like chess like black and white so i could not believe in the middle of it's possible or some maybe 80 percent to 20 or 70 to 30 but i was thinking like 100 percent one or the other yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the trainers that have come on the show over the years have lamented that it's really hard to to work on your game when you're a chess trainer because often when you're done with your work responsibilities you kind of want to escape from chess. Um, so, but I so Attila, you mentioned that you're a vegan. You've also been posting on Twitter these these uh, these pictures of you running every day, working on physical training. Are you, are you still a vegan today? Yeah, yeah. Like in the last. Uh... How many years? Like uh, last sixteen years, I was vegan. Okay. So I hope this can be maybe also a plus actually because I, I feel this has some health benefits. So it's like the longevity of uh, of maybe the efforts can be 
can be helpful. Also, yeah, I am running. I make meditation every day. Wow, very healthy. So try to, you know, but also this is kind of like an experience for myself because I was uh, really into this like self-help ideas and how to maximize the potential of of a human. And this is actually kind of like for me, it's, it's, it's an experiment how to do also the chest up, but I want to, to use all the other other aspects which I can I can put in to maximize the, the result. Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, of course, um friend of the show, uh Grandmaster Ben Feingold, somewhat famously made Grandmaster at 40 in terms of making it the traditional route where someone uh earns three three norms and attains the twenty five hundred rating. Um but it's extremely rare uh, for someone to make it in the in the 40s, and and um, and you've got a, a big hill to climb because you're 2,300 feet, so you'd have to gain 200 points. Now I'm sure it helps that you've been stronger in the past. Um, and if correct me if I'm wrong, you you're starting at zero norms too, right? Yes, yeah, that's true. That's true. It was also I think kind of some kind of mental shift which actually looks like I start to experiment actually like two years ago when I was 40 because before what happened when you know time to time I played tournaments but like in the last 25 years I did not really play tournaments I played most like in team events or sporadically one international master tournaments here and there where I was asked as an international master player to join like a round robin tournament to to make the norms possible for other players but that was not big effort. But before when I played like in, in Grandmaster tournament, I played a few Grandmaster tournaments in my life, not much. When I, I became an uh, international master, then I, then I think I played like in two Grandmaster tournaments. And I remember I played like two years ago one. I don't know if I played any other, but somehow how happened with, with my chess normally against the players who were my my strength or like rating-wise, let's say rating-wise, or maybe like 50 points higher, I had a very, very high score against them. So usually much higher than which would be expected. And lower-rated players, I had always very high high performance. But players who has, was maybe more than 50 points than higher, I, I lost a lot. So very, 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 very bad effort. And it went against when I was, you know, 2300, if I played like somebody 2370, nearly always lost. But against like 2300s or lower it is I nearly always was so it was some really strange thing like again this black and white point of view as, as my you can see in other stuff in my life I was thinking I win or lose also in my style I was very much something like that so I was very aggressive and very much playing for the win from my very early age and uh, and this somehow changed when I I started to make this effort two years ago to 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 start to Train. I started to win like in blitz against grandmasters, and somehow that made like a change. And you know, one interesting thing was when I was able to win against Nakamura, Hikaru Nakamura, game with kind of like a good positional effort. So it's not something he blundered, but but uh, I got a winning position. And and then it was funny because uh, he was winning on time, so he was much quicker than me. And I had an extra extra night, and I had only like one second left, and and he moved into a checkmate actually in the end. Oh so that, wow! That, <laughs> that, uh, but the interesting was we could say this was like kind of luck. But in the next next week, I played with MLV another another blitz game, and again I got a winning position against him also. I, I lost that game in la- later in, in the time trouble, but but that was somehow showing it. 
So, you know, interesting, I could have some chance against these strong players, against grandmasters. And and in the last uh, year, in the end of the year, I played the tournament. Actually, maybe that was the, the sign somehow I decided to make the last effort, if you asked in the beginning why. Because there I, I still started pretty well, like five and a half out of seven games. And I won against the grandmaster over 25-40. So that was my actually my best effort. And then I lost the last four games in that tournament, so that did not finish that well. But that gave me actually the the, the power to decide to make this really <laughs> an effort to, because I, I played really good in the beginning and then I did not manage time well and make some calculation mistakes. So I said, if, if it's possible to play so well, then, then I should have an, a chance and I should give my best effort. Yeah. Makes sense. You you don't want to spend your life wondering like what what could have been. So might as well um go after it now. Um, supporter and friend of the show, Aaron Holloway Nahum wrote in, um, just looking for some insight that I think a lot of listeners will be uh, looking for, which is um, most people listening to this um, one are not IMs, of course. Um, that's uh, pretty high up, uh, you know, on the chess ladder. Um, so. To, to a lot of listeners, it might be kind of hard to grasp what separates you from, say, a 2600 Grandmaster and what separates IMs generally from GMs. So how do you think about that question? I mean, it sounds like part of it from what you're saying is consistency. Um, but what else do you think uh, you personally um, need, need to improve? And what generally is your observation when you play a GM as compared to an IM? Is there something that stands out in terms of uh, differentiating them? I think it really depends on the on the person because uh, this is also a challenging task for me as a chess trainer. Actually, if I I was I teaching a player who is maybe eighteen hundred or two thousand or fourteen hundred, and you know there are different skills in chess, maybe like you know ten different skills, and you can be like uh, and the average of those skills make makes actually your your rating. So you and in in my case, I think a very special thing. What I recognized also earlier, my big weakness is the calculation. So it, it feels like, you know, when like I am maybe like already like in a grandmaster level, I think many times in, in uh, positional understanding of the game. Like, so I play like a 2600, I think, in positional chess, but I play maybe like a 2100 in, in calculation. That's a long way to go <laughs> if you're at uh, 2100. Um, so, so, so I saw... Yeah, I saw you mention that to Grandmaster Ramesh, and uh, I know he's he prescribed uh, two Kubel studies. Kubel, for those who don't know, is a famous endgame composer, um, one of the best in history, and his are pretty challenging. So he said two Kubel studies a day, 30 minutes per study, right? And write down every variation. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are very challenging, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it hurt just to watch that. I was like, "Well, you know, that, that's why I'm not. Uh, that's why I'm not trying to make I am, let alone GM." Um, yeah. So, ha- have you been? So, I think that video was about a month old. Have you been? Uh, have you been following that prescription? Dare I ask? Actually, not. 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 not all <laughs> I won't them. tell Ramesh. Actually, the. I, I do. I did more e- easier puzzles, uh, like more, more puzzles, but le- less uh, less hard. Because what I recognize is I'm already like in to solving easier puzzles also make make me challenging. So what I I decided to do to first going up to the level, uh, 
they're easier to to deal with the, with those Kubo uh, puzzles. So randomly, I do that also, but I did not do. But probably what what I was thinking in the last couple of days, I will start to do that. So at least like the last last week before the tournament, I will I will get back to that because I feel the difference absolutely when I am doing those. It makes as as how Ramesh said in the try to make like five times harder the the, the training session than the real game will be. So then then the real wow. game will be much easier to deal with. Yeah, Ramesh um, gave the the common but uh, sage uh, advice that that chess learning happens outside of your comfort zone. Um, so. In addition to or aside from Kubo, what what studies or what um, calculation exercises did you decide to do? Actually, there is a series of book called uh, Slavin. The, it's a Russian author. Is I I got actually those uh, puzzles from the books in a, in a from a friend in a PGM file. It's like a series of maybe nine books with, with puzzles. It's starting from absolutely beginners. I found I use it also for students, I as recommend, because the good thing about this is it goes from absolutely beginners, maybe to like 2,200 level or something like that, or maybe even higher. I am not that, yeah, I mean, not solving the really hard puzzles. So I decided to actually to actually last year. So I'm, hopefully we'll be now concentrating more to it's like around five thousand puzzles to go go over from those and and then going for Kubel and probably later we'll go also with some of the Agard books. Okay. And do you speak Russian? I'm just looking up Slavin and I'm not seeing it available in English. Um, or is it in Hungarian? Uh, no, no, I, I don't speak. No, actually, I just get in the PGN file the puzzles. Yeah, I, yeah, you mentioned that, which, of course, as a trainer, it's great to have the PGN files as well. Um, and for listeners who don't know, PGN files means like it's it's on your chess database. So it's an easy way to to cycle through them. Um, so. So you're you're doing those puzzles from Slavin. Did you did you run that by Grandmaster Ramesh or Grandmaster Kazimjanov? Or I mean, generally, uh, my my opinion is the important thing is to do the work. It's less important which exact puzzles it is. But did just out of curiosity, did you ask them about those? No, not yet. Okay, and um, and so of course you're ramping up for a tournament as we record this, which um is going to. Hopefully, often someone will really try to step up their their training regimen um, in leading up to a tournament. But how many hours are you managing to to spend studying today? Considering that obviously uh, life doesn't get put on hold just because you have a tournament coming up. Yeah, it's um, my thing is like at least one hour of of calculation training. I am doing that now every day, so that's the minimum which I I want to do. Then. Also, I am a part of this process training group. So like with Kashim Zanov, Rustam also, that, that's actually a group training sessions. Okay. Which, which also Ramesh organizing that. So there is like four sessions every week around one and a half hour average or one and a half or two hours. So that's another maybe like one hour a day. So that's around two hours of, uh, that. That's, that's the minimum. And then time to time I can add some more. Our original goal was to have like three hours every day. It's not yet there. I'm not yet there. Okay. And are you having to to reshift things in your life? Um, you mentioned before we started recording, your daughter is five years old. 
obviously with the pandemic, everyone's um, family balance is thrown out of whack. So I don't know if she's going to school or daycare or not. Um, are you having to like carve out time and turn down lessons or like what, how are you ar arranging to do uh, three hours a day, which is like, you know, that's like um, 25% or 20% of someone's waking hours each day. So it's, it's a big commitment. Yeah. It's, uh, fortunately, the kindergarten is still working here in Hungary, even in, okay. in the pandemic. So my daughter can go there. And uh, yeah, somehow it's it's uh, challenging, but uh, you know the, uh, the other biggest challenge in in my chess and in my life is time management. Actually, so those are the two things: time management and calculation. Yeah, I saw you discussing that with uh, Ramesh. So you you ha had an interesting observation that you are a bit of a time trouble addict when you play chess, you often get short on time in your games and you feel that that also carries through to uh, other aspects of your life, which I hadn't thought about because I've mentioned before, I've also had many a struggle with time trouble. And I did also used to be kind of a chronically late person. So I hadn't thought about that. So, um, so, and uh, it was Ramesh of course said that's primarily a psychological issue, not a chess issue. So um, what, how are you going to address it? <laughs> and how should I? <laughs> actually, you know, I started to do that. It's uh, in, in Blitz games, actually. But I was, I don't know, some, maybe from one of the books from Doretsky, I read where Botvinnik said about this exercise to to concentrate on the, okay, on that time there was no increment, so that was maybe easier, but but like divide like, you know, the two hours which you have for 40 minutes in that time that was to like equal things like three minutes for per move and you should look like oh, after 10 moves you should not, not think more than 30 minutes and then after 50 so to try to to mean always think less than what you have and then maybe if you you gain some extra time then you can use for uh, certain moments but not going out of that that zone like this uh, out of that border of of Time and, and actually, I started to use that actually in blitz games because I I'm just playing yeah. blitz games nowadays. Even like the title Tuesday or other games, it looks like I I don't get that much now on time travel. Actually, it's really interesting. So somehow I need to give give up my my perfect swimming. So I I cannot make like perfect moves. I just try to make good enough moves. Yeah, kind of like uh, Grishuk famously is an amazing blitz player, but if you give him two hours, he'll he'll use them all on the first twenty five moves, no, ma no matter what. So, yeah, it's interesting how there can be sort of um a, that dichotomy. But um, these rules to to tell this, make these rules, I think somehow to this this had me. So I try to look also this time and say, okay, when I'm down one minute, I need to play like ten moves in the blitz game or something. I, I don't remember what was the last time when I was thinking about it. But but to make this rule and and first maybe in the several games try to to just follow the rules. So not the quality of the game is important, but to build up this habit to. To say yourself, okay, now stop. You need to make a move. If no matter if you did not figure out the best, you need to make a move. And you feel like you're making progress with that? Yeah, absolutely. In of course, we will look if it's in this the long time battle game yeah. how it goes. But in the blitz games, uh, yeah, actually, it, it has. That's great. And I know you, I want to first of all thank you and congratulate you because I know you beat my friend. I am Greg Shahadi in Title Tuesday uh, six weeks back or so. So I, uh, I always yeah, like to see Greg you. lose. <laughs> 
Well, it was one of my better games, actually. I was really, really happy about that. It's a long, long, you know, that was my other film game. I played with a very strong player, or, you know, 200 points maybe was higher than me, like on in blitz rating. And, and I was managed to, in a long game, actually, that's also one of the big positive changes in my game, actually, in the last couple of months. I don't crack under the pressure much, much uh, lo- later. Like I played also with Pragnon on the training game in this Pro Chess League. And- oh, wow. <laughs> That's scary thought. Yeah, and you know that was really interesting. And and uh, after maybe twenty five moves, I, I I blundered a pawn, but I did not crack. And we played a long end game, and only like after maybe sixty moves in the time trouble, I lost in in equal games. So I was managed to to still save the game. So that's that's a very big change over when it was before. Because many times when I was in bad position, I cracked, especially over against stronger players. But now it feels like even even strong players, I can keep my my game. Wow. Yeah. And Pragananda, of course, legendary Indian, legendary already. The kid's a teenager, but um, uh, Indian prodigy who is uh, one of Ramesh, R.B. Ramesh's uh, star students. Um, so so I'm excited for you, Attila. So you mentioned you're naturally or through prior chess learning. I know you said and in, in, you've said elsewhere and written about the fact that you had many coaches growing up. You're a strong positional player. Need a lot of work on your calculation. Um, what's the status of your openings? Mm, that's a big challenge, actually, because you know I was teaching in the last twenty-five years in my life. I was playing and teaching nearly all kind of openings because when somebody came to me with the new openings which I did not play before, then I am making big researches and uh, and build up kind of like a repertoire for that. So I am still like in the stage like I have. All the opening, but no opening. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Everything's like everything's like a seven out of ten <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am. I still. I made some decisions also for the tournament, but still, uh, I am not really sure. If, or I want to play many different openings. This is something which, yeah, it's, I really. It's good, good. You ask me because I need to make like this decision because time travel is also there. But one more thing I want to do, I. I have now the players who will play in the tournament, so I will I will now look all the all the players what they are playing. So probably depends on that I will make my decision which openings to play and which to focus on to maybe in the last week to maybe review a little bit more. Okay, yeah, and the the last sort of major topic I wanted to hit. Of course, we could go for a long time, but as I mentioned, since there's going to be three interviews, um, we're going to try to uh, not have a five hour um, hardcore history <laughs> podcast. Um, so. You you get to play in the Fame First Saturday tournaments in in Hungary, which where many um, many grandmasters have attained norms. It's a rare um, globally. It's a special place to to live near. Um, could you tell listeners who aren't familiar a little bit about those tournaments and um, and and uh, also uh, well, let's stop there for now. Could you tell our listeners about those tournaments? Yeah, those tournaments were started, I think, around uh, twenty five years ago, or maybe a little bit more by a chess player who became a chess organizer. He's around like a 21,000, it's like an expert level player who was originally like a a teacher actually, like an engineer and teacher, uh, Laszlo Nagy. And uh, the tournaments, actually there are three tournaments every month. The January is their holiday month, but so all other 11 or 11 months, there is one tournament where you can play for gaining rating points, federating points. So like maybe under 2000 group. 
And there is normally one one tournament for the international master title. So that's around like around 2,300 level player tournaments. And there is one tournament for the grandmaster title with the average rating around 2,400. So these t- okay. three tournaments normally runs every month. Sometimes the for the lowest group, there's, there are two groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people travel far and wide for these tournaments. Just off the top of my head, um, I, Kevin Go, uh, who did an amazing interview on Perpetual Chess about his uh, um, quest to, to successful quest to earn the Grandmaster title. I know he played some first Saturday events. Of course, uh, Eric Kislik, who lives in Hungary, um, and uh, Mezgin Amanov. If you go way back in the archives, I know he got a norm or two there. Um, so, how, is it a Swiss or a round robin? I feel like I should know this, but but I don't. round robin, round robin tournaments. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so round robin meaning everyone plays everyone, and also uh, adding sort of uh, fuel to the um, opening preparation fire because you need to people can prepare for you. So if you have a narrow repertoire, you better really know it. So that's uh, when uh, when I am Terzo here discusses or says that's something he needs to think about. These are the kind of questions like, do I, do I prepare a surprise or do I just go with what they would expect sort of thing? Um, but it'll be fun to track. So, um, so yeah, this, like, um, this will be out when the tournament's ongoing. And do you have a sense yet? I mean, since they're every month except for January, do you, are you going to try to play every month, Attila? We look how it goes. It's uh, because of the family commitment and also about, you know, Teaching when normally there is a tournament, I will still probably teach in those days, so that will be the, oh wow, the, that's hard, yeah. The extra it's one thing. one game per day, one game per day, so that's that's, good. that's a little bit make it easier. So it's uh, we look how it goes, you know. If it's uh, I would I would like to play every month, so that would be the ideal ideal state. But to manage things also financially and family time and build it's. The more likely is like less frequently in the beginning, but if things are going good or maybe you have some support or who knows what's going on, what will have this journey, then maybe that's possible to make it even every month. Yeah, funny. I mean, I might end up talking about this. This is the first interview I'm recording um, of the three. So it might come up in, in other conversations, but just yesterday I am John Bartholomew was tweeting about how there needs to be some sort of... Um, mechanism to support people in their quest to, to earn titles. I, of course, feel like one of the big companies should support a reality show. Um, but some people were floating the idea of like a Patreon or a Kickstarter. So yeah, funding is always the issue. And of course, when I interviewed uh, um, FM Peter Giannatos of uh, the Charlotte Chess Center, who they run the closest thing to first Saturday tournaments here in the US. And uh, of course, St. Louis does some stuff too. But, you know, Hungary being a lot more compact, Um, I feel like it's a lot more accessible necessarily for a Hungarian player and it's a lot easier to attract international players in, um, uh, in Europe than in the U S because people aren't traveling as far. Um, but Peter had mentioned what the cost was for, for players to play. And I was initially surprised that it's kind of expensive, but as I thought about it more, of course it made sense. Um, roughly how much does it cost for the first Saturday tournaments? I think it's, uh... Maybe between like three hundred and and five hundred dollars, I think. Per. Okay, yeah. So not quite as expensive as the Charlotte ones, especially because you're in the privileged place of being able to sleep at home when you play in them. So um, just to wrap up, Attila, I feel like you have some some this. I mean, I don't consider this a competition. I want 
I want everyone who's chasing a title to get it, um, including, of course, the people I'm interviewing. But with the fact that you're the oldest of the three people we're interviewing, have the most rating points to gain, and don't have any norms, um, and you have a kid, so <laughs> you've got a you've got a, a lot of marks um, that just make it more challenging, um, which will make it a greater achievement if you can do it. But I would say the one thing you do have going for you is living in Hungary and having these norm tournaments in your backyard is, is, uh, is an amazing privilege and um, can really, I, I hope, turbocharge your, your journey. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, so I'm super excited. Thanks for doing this interview. And um, yeah, uh, keep us posted. Um, so for people to keep up with what you're doing, there's your chess.com blog. You're active on Twitter. You're on Twitch. Is there anything else I should link to? I have also a web page, which is kind of basic, but I plan to improve it and probably make maybe there my blog or will. I'm thinking about how to make it more accessible, also like the journey for other people who are interested in. So probably that will be my, my web page also. Okay. Yeah. I've suggested before, and I know John Bartholomew back when he was playing tournaments, he would do little vlogs from the tournament where he would just say, Hey, I played so-and-so today, you know, and you could see the pain in his face when he lost because it's fresh. Um, you could see the joy when he won and he would just talk about how he was feeling and spend maybe 10 minutes going through a game. So I know you've got a lot going on, but if you're up for it, that would be fun kind of real time way to track it. We'll do, I have also a YouTube channel. So so probably we'll add that also. Yeah, make some preparation and thank you for the ideas also because I want to make like this tournament, this kind of like uh, trying out things, how to interact also with some fans or some people. Yeah, and people want to know like what the tournament venue looks like, you know, stuff like that. Like the first Saturday tournaments are so legendary and a lot of people just probably will never make it. So the, the, more, the more detail you can provide, the better. Um, but again, chess first <laughs> in this case, uh, otherwise work in family and then chess. But, um, but, uh, Attila, thank you. Thank you for your time. And, uh, we'll, we'll be rooting for you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And yeah, thank you very much. All your other podcasts. I'm a big fan of you. Thanks. That, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Okay. And listeners, in addition to linking to all of, uh, Attila's information, I'll link to, uh, I'll link to the standings in the uh, first Saturday. No pressure, Attila, but just in case anyone wants to pop in and see how he's doing, because it will be ongoing, uh, likely when this interview comes out. So thanks again, Attila, and uh, I will see you on Twitter. Okay, thank you, thank you. Big shout out to Matthew Passy, my producer, been helping us for over four years. Much appreciated as always. I also would like to thank everyone who helped spread the word about the show, whether it be by word of mouth or a positive review on a podcast platform. I can't even keep track of all the platforms anymore, but every review is appreciated. I also wanted to remind you guys, you are always welcome to follow me or Perpetual Chess on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Official one That's where I'm most active. We also have the Perpetual Chess Facebook group where we post every episode and sometimes the guests chime in to continue the conversation. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is unretired. Follow us at Perpetual Chess where we post weekly clips. If you would like to email me, the easiest way is ben at perpetualchesspod.com. Also, of course, want to thank our sponsors, chessable.com, 
and Chess Aim and Chess Mood. Thanks for helping the cause, guys. Much appreciated and great products that I'm proud to be affiliated with. Last but not least, of course, I want to thank all of our Patreon and PayPal supporters. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities. Chessable.com, David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentess Twitch Channel, Andrew Alharji, Andrew Bach, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harst, I am Greg Shahadi, Gregory Galuk, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromarty, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Cell, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the OGs of Chess YouTube, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nays Twitch channel, Peter Sodi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, The Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Chad Hilton, Chess Patser Spain, I'm not sure if that one's a real name, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Budson, Costa Caras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskoschek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Durker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langua, Robitaille, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Indrek Ryland, Felipe Melo Pereira, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Latart Lavoie, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vanderveld, Gene Stewart, Gerard Barter, Giovanni Russo, Han Schrute, Harish Renivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, J.D. Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tully, Juan Almagar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jeff Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, Josh Fridell, Kare Christensen, 
WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, Kior Gada of the Lakeshore Chess Club, I am Kostya Kovyutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Boyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gabel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Mulajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Robert Tichi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Darty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwater, Seth Ruzica, Shane Unger, Silver Knights in Richmond, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, for the support, everyone. I will catch you guys all next week. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.